Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Adra Insider Podcast. We're uh, trying another different format here today. We're on a Zoom call, and that is because we have a special guest joining us all the way from Kenya. Today, we have the former executive director of Adra Canada, who is now the country director of Adra Kenya, James Asselford. Many of you may remember James. Um, he has been a very familiar face around Canada for many years, and we're very excited to have him on the call today. So hello, James. Nice to see you. Good to see you and uh, all of you on this call and everyone who's watching. All right. And also joining us, we have our Supporter Relations Director, Sharmila Reed. Hello, everyone. And we also have our... Uh, Oh, my mind my, my just went social, no, uh, multimedia specialist. Is that what your title is? Social distancing specialist. So, <laughs> multimedia specialist. Yes. Hi, everyone. Good to be here with you. All right. So that's uh, Frank Spangler, our multimedia specialist. All right. Um, so uh, we will get started with James. Let's have a catch up with you. It's It's been a while. Um, you left Canada. What was that? Uh, 2008? I'm, I'm starting to lose track of my years now, so. I think we blame uh, everything on COVID right now, but uh, yes, came yeah. out here at the beginning of 2019. Okay, all right. And um, you are now the country director. And what brought you back to Kenya? I'm just curious to, to get that out. Well, this is my third spell in Kenya. I first came out here at the end of 1959 and uh, grew up here. Um, so you can tell I don't have much of a Canadian accent um, and uh, was here for my growing up years. Uh, then I came back a second time in 1998. I was here for four years, uh, technically working in Adra, South Sudan, but because of the civil war that was going on, it was a cross-border operation. Uh, the office and living was here in Nairobi. Uh, though the projects were in South Sudan. And uh, then this is the third time to come back at the beginning of 2019. So it's, it's uh, in many ways lots of deja vu, reconnecting. Uh, many things are familiar, although uh, lots of things are not. So it's, uh, it's, it's home for you, essentially, Kenya is. Yes, in many ways. Um, of course, uh, in the intervening years, the country has developed, many things have changed. And uh, sometimes I'm very conscious of not being a Kenyan anymore, if I ever was. <laughs> uh, and I know you do like the cold. It is, uh, it is a winter day here. It's, it's not too bad. It's minus six. Um, so how are you enjoying the weather there? It's a bit warm for me, uh, but I suppose you'd all be happy for the 27 degrees that we're uh, having at the moment. I would gladly trade you, yes. <laughs> Kenya's, Kenya's, in comparison to Canada, is a small country, but it's a very diverse culturally and landscape, geographic, weather, every, everything in the country is very diverse. Can you give us a little background into the country of Kenya itself? Yes, certainly. Uh, I think Kenya has it all. We have beaches, we have snow-capped mountains, we have broad plains, we have hills, swamps, we have the Great Rift Valley coming through the middle of the country, we have forests, rivers, lakes. Uh, I think we have just about everything here in Kenya. Um, of course, uh, did I mention deserts also? Yes, the arid and semi-arid lands uh, to the north. Uh, in Canada, we are uh, talk a great deal about our multicultural uh, tradition 
and uh, the makeup of our society. And uh, we have that uh, similarly in Kenya. We don't use that term perhaps so much, but we have uh, three main language groups, uh, over 40 different tribes. And uh, those uh, 40 plus tribes include those that have uh, come into what we now call Kenya centuries or even millennia ago. And then also those that came, uh, came in the last uh, century or so as a result of the uh, colonial experiment uh, that brought others into the country and who have remained uh, and who are citizens of this country. Um, Kenya also has a particular status as a hub country. A lot of uh, regional uh, offices are here, whether it's for the UN or NGOs or businesses. Anyone who's doing business in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, uh, Rwanda, even Somalia, Ethiopia, <laughs> uh, Great Lakes uh, region, uh, they tend to come and put their office in uh, Nairobi. So you have a lot of international people uh, based uh, in the country. So this gives uh, Nairobi a very cosmopolitan look and the country a very uh, diverse look. And, uh, oh yes, one more. Uh, we're always talking in Canada about the fact that we're bilingual. Nous parlons français aussi. But uh, here we have uh, two languages. Uh, we have uh, English and Swahili. Luga Yamaendeleo, that was uh, Swahili. So we have two official languages here in Kenya also. Okay. And you are somewhat proficient in Swahili? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I can uh, usually start a conversation, but I hope that very quickly they will switch to English or I'll be in trouble. <laughs> Which is the same problem I have in Quebec, of course. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so just moving back now, um, again, back to the, the arid region of Kenya. I was, I was hoping we could go a little more in-depth into the Mandara project. And Frank, feel free to chime in on this one because you have visited Mandara. Sharmila, you have as well. I'm the only person in this conversation that hasn't been to Kenya, let alone Mandara. So once COVID's over, we need to change that. Um, so yeah, if we can uh, go in a little, a little bit into depth in the Mandara project, what it's about and um, how it's been changing the area. Well, let me start, and then my colleagues can give you a better picture. But uh, the, our, our work in Mandera West, uh, focused on Takaba, is actually a textbook uh, ADRA intervention. Um, I often compare it to what uh, we accomplished uh, with our partners in ADRA Mongolia. Uh, because in both instances, we started our activities in time of crisis. Uh, in Mongolia, it was the, the Dzuds, the uh, dreadful winter storms. Here it was the drought in the Horn of Africa, 2010-2011. And uh, with our membership in the Canadian Food Grains Bank, we were able to uh, mount some uh, relief uh, responses uh, in partnership with Adra Kenya to provide uh, food for those who were affected. And this was handing out things, um, uh, grains, cooking oil, salt, uh, very basics for people to be able to, to eat. And that uh, was an excellent uh, project activity. Uh, same sort of thing happened in Mongolia, where there was a handout of foods. 
But in both countries, ADRA said, we've got to do more. We've got to uh, address the issues here and not just be giving the fish, but teaching people how to fish. Although in neither cases, countries were fish involved. Uh, in uh, Kenya's case, we had uh, these nomadic peoples who, uh, without much regard to uh, political boundaries, would be wandering around between Ethiopia and uh, Somalia and Kenya. They had their goats. Uh, they did not uh, grow crops, uh, didn't really know what vegetables were. It was uh, strange to them. Same thing in Mongolia, so introducing vegetables to people who had never eaten a vegetable in their life. <laughs> And uh, so we started uh, kitchen gardens uh, up in northeast Kenya, helping people to, with a minimum of waste water from, from their uh, kitchen area, uh, growing food and changing the culture and the nutrition and everything else as a result. Uh, this meant that people moved from the, you know, one maybe meal a day, especially with the goats having been lost uh, in uh, the uh, drought, uh, to the place where they were growing enough food in each family plot to have three meals a day. And uh, this had an effect not only on nutrition, it had an effect on women, because women were mostly doing this. <laughs> I remember a few years ago uh, visiting uh, up in Takaba, talking to uh, one of the women, and she showed me her, her garden. And uh, with great um, smugness is not the right word, but she was very proud. She said that uh, she had sold some of her vegetables uh, to foreigners. She didn't mean foreigner like me. She meant Kenyans, but people who came from outside of her area. And she had earned 800 shillings. Now, that may not sound too, too understandable to you. If I said $10, still wouldn't sound very much. But this was the first money she had ever had in her life. Money oh. in her hand. Uh, maybe she had touched money before. You know, the husband had given her something and told her to go to the shop, come back and give her the change. Uh, but this was her money. So the transformation that that brought to, to women in the community to be able to have their own money. Of course, I had to ask her what she did with the money, and she said she bought uh, some textbooks for the children to go to school. She bought school uniforms so that they could go to school. The project, uh, again, moved out of purely an agricultural thing to empowerment of women. And that made a profound effect on the local community because women look after families and that was important, and is important. And the project has continued to this day, looking at other issues, uh, helping the farmers to grow uh, fodder. Uh, previously, they used to take their goats every year into Ethiopia or somewhere to try and find pasture. But now, Address Project is helping them to uh, have uh, water catchment areas, growing fodder, doing things to make sure that the benefits of the change occur there uh, in the community. Uh, Frank and Chavila, is that what you saw or did you see other things? Yeah, I, as I remember my visit there, I, the big impression that I had was the, the hospitality of the people and how grateful they were for the work that we had been doing there the last five, six years. And I get that almost everywhere I go, but it was unique here when I uh, heard them talk about 
their attitudes when we first arrived and how they were very suspicious about um, this Christian organization that wanted to come in and uh, into their community. And I think that they might have been afraid that we would try and convert them to Christianity. But after five years of serving and working with them and helping them without any attempts to share biblical messages, they you know, start to wonder, well, they must really love helping people just for helping people's sake. And uh, the, the open arms that I received when I visited the community was just wonderful. They told me over and over again how much they appreciated it. Now, James, I've been hearing that there's some conflict uh, or potential problems up in that area. How are things going right now? Yes, we have uh, some uh, serious uh, security issues uh, at the moment. Um, two, three weeks ago, we had to pull a couple of our staff out of uh, Takaba, bring them back to Nairobi. Uh, because the situation was so serious, we could not uh, be confident that they would be secure. Uh, even in Takaba itself, in, in the, uh, the ADRA office. Uh, they went back yesterday and uh, we talked to Patrick, the project manager, this morning. And we're monitoring the situation uh, carefully uh, to see what is the appropriate way to engage. This is not the community's fault. This is uh, outside elements who are coming in, who are causing uh, trouble. So yeah, that makes it uh, very difficult for us, makes it very difficult for the community. Uh, but we have to look at uh, how much of our activities we can continue in this area. Do we need to start looking uh, further west, southwest uh, from where we are? to areas that uh, are equally in need, um, but uh, perhaps not with quite the same security concerns. Now, this project, it's, is it uh, we're partnering with the Canadian Food Grains Bank? Is that correct? Right? Uh, but uh, we're hoping uh, in consultation with the, your good colleagues there in the Adra Canada office that we might get a new project that uh, will pick up uh, where we are and carry on uh, with uh, significant funding coming from uh, Global Affairs Canada, the Government of Canada, and of course, uh, your supporters who are watching this podcast. And uh, the, the activities, uh, Frank, you may remember when you were there visiting, even included such things as uh, beekeeping. Um, yes. Yeah. People who had nothing to do, and all of a sudden they can earn a significant income from yes. hollowed out logs. Yes, the hive that I visited was run by the youth group of guys, men in the village, and they were just beaming with pride uh, as to the. Uh, I think they had from the, just the one tree that uh, we were filming under. I saw about eight hives up in the tree, and I think that was just one of the trees that they were working with as a group and they were selling their honey they were so proud that just like you mentioned the lady now has money in their hand from something that they had done and uh, that was new to them and they were thrilled now do they sell the honey locally or do they are they able to ship it where, where are they selling the honey who are they selling the honey to 
their preferred market of is Nairobi and and uh, of course the 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 big cities of uh, uh, Mombasa and uh, Kisumu and so forth because uh, honey fetches a good price especially if it's genuine honey not sugar water with uh, a label stuck on the jar uh, so uh, that is uh, the preferred market okay. so James I think we also heard that for the very first time a bank was going to open in that area. Yes, uh, I think um, we can legitimately take some credit for this. As the economy has uh, improved, um, the government has also invested in infrastructure. Uh, there is now a cell phone tower, uh, so you can use your cell phone there, get internet and so forth. Um, and uh, a bank has, I don't remember which one, but has opened a branch there. Uh, so this helps in uh, their whole banking system, but also because of the cell phone tower. Kenya is very advanced in mobile money. Um, maybe we're one of the leading countries know <laughs> how to use this. We call it M-Pesa. Uh, there are other uh, versions of it. M-Pesa, M for mobile, and Pesa just means money. Uh, and uh, this is a way of sending money through your phone, having money on your phone. So if I wanted to send money to you, uh, I could just dial from my phone and you get it instantly. And it's on your phone. Now you can use it. You can go to the market. You can buy goods, services, anything. So having the cell tower there means some pesos being used. That uh, leapfrogs over institutional banking and puts okay. banking services in the hands of everyone who's got a phone. And I have... I, I, I don't know if I've ever met yet anyone in Kenya who doesn't have a phone yet. It seems that they, <laughs> they have really uh, taken off. It might be a very simple uh, mobile phone without all the fancy uh, gadgets and applications that we have on our smartphones. But still, it can run M-Pesa mobile money. And that makes a, a big difference. When you can move money around uh, and when you can make purchases and things like that, uh, traditionally, you had to go to a bank, and if, there, if you, you weren't allowed to use a bank, uh, so that's helpful, been very helpful. Yeah, I was surprised when I visited you there, when we filled up with gas, you just gave them your uh, M-Pesa, right? Yeah, yeah. Pay, pay, pay. There's, a, there's a number on the gas station, you just type in that number, how much do I owe so much, press enter, put your pin in, it's done. And on their phone, it suddenly went ding. They had received the money. Uh, my account was debited, of course. Uh, <laughs> and it works very fast and very well. And uh, since the uh, COVID pandemic, of course, uh, the government is trying to encourage uh, contactless uh, economic transactions. So uh, plastic if you have it, but M-Pesa with your phone even better because nobody touches anything. Sometimes I wish we had that here, so I just didn't have to bring my wallet. I hate I hate carrying my wallet around, so that's, that's such a nice option. Moving forward, what is Adrikenia's plans within the next year, two years? What kind of projects are you looking into? We are hoping that the project that I mentioned earlier from uh, Adri Canada with Government of Canada funding and support from uh, your constituency there, 
if we are able to get that, that will be a five-year project, which will uh, be a great uh, blessing to the communities in which uh, we're hoping to work. Uh, and of course, it'll also help to, to keep uh, our lights on um, and, and our doors open for the services that are needed, uh, accounting and IT and uh, all the other support uh, functions that uh, come especially because we operate uh, legally uh, and uh, therefore as a registered uh, charity in Kenya, uh, we make sure that we do everything in the right way uh, so that we can be audited every year and we are audited every year and that all our registrations and everything are intact. All that, of course, those support costs uh, have to be covered. Um, so apart from that, uh, we continue to pray that uh, there will be others who will uh, find it uh, in their um, hearts and in their portfolios to, to come and help uh, partner with Adra Kenya. Do you two have any more questions for James? James, you and I have many times visited a project that Canada got started there in Kenya back early 90s where we're helping children with disabilities. Uh, can you tell us what's, what's happening today in that uh, program or that project? Yeah, this is one of our uh, Canadian-Kenyan success stories, isn't it? Uh, back from uh, the early 90s, as you said, uh, when a Canadian was involved, uh, Ken Hill, I believe was his name, uh, in starting uh, an initiative that addressed uh, those with uh, with disabilities, and this project we found was like many Adra projects. The longer it went on, the success story became bigger. Uh, just as uh, we mentioned earlier, the Mandera uh, food security, it was years in activity, but then people got the idea of what to do. And they took off with it. We referenced uh, Mongolia earlier. And again, hundreds of thousands of people in Mongolia are eating vegetables now because of what uh, ADRA started uh, in their communities. And, but that happened over a period of many years. And uh, it's always great when we can get funding that's more than just six or 18 months uh, but goes on for five years or ten years because then you can change a, uh, people's culture. Frank, I wonder if you remember the story where we were visiting in a village and uh, the family was telling us, uh, th they showed us their child with disabilities and they had some poles up so that the child could do exercises and and uh, they said how they were happy now they were able to do the physiotherapy and the ADRA people and the government people came and gave them assistance and they were no longer ashamed of their child Frank you and I left we heard the next day or maybe a couple of days down the road that the very next home unbeknownst to anyone had a child with disability locked up in the back cupboard. And nobody knew. The parents kept, they were so ashamed to have this child that was disabled, they kept it locked away. But when they saw 
that the Adra people came around, including you and I, and uh, visited with the family. And I think we must have probably uh, held the child's hand or something. They finally said, maybe it's time for us to take our child out too. And they unlocked the door and brought their child out and asked the Adra people, can you please teach us how to do the physiotherapy and the exercises and everything? So it was years of working in that community before the cultural change, uh, the shift could occur where people recognized that people with disabilities were just people with disabilities, but they were people first. And uh, so that, uh, that ongoing project made a significant impact, I believe. And uh, part of the project was not only working with the community, but working with local government officials. So that when the project stopped, which it did, the funding eventually uh, came to an end, uh, there, was the, there were mechanisms within the community to continue the good work. Uh, local government officials, um, community workers were now empowered, they understood, they were able to, to continue uh, the change. And I think that is uh, so often a picture of what we try to do in ADRA. We don't try to be in a place forever. We partner with the community. We try and give them the tools so that they can make a difference ultimately for themselves. Uh, with fond memories of ADRA, as as you mentioned, Frank, when you went to talk about, they said, thank you so much for, for coming. Uh, you made a difference. Um, but it's also very nice when people say, we don't need you anymore, uh, in the nicest possible way, uh, because we've been able to affect that change. Uh, the community is resilient now and able to move on. And that allows uh, ADRA to move to other communities that uh, that need uh, assistance. Well, I wanted to hear more about the sand dams because I remember when I started, um, that was one of the things that I found the most fascinating. Yes, and I remember that uh, years ago, Frank did some good uh, videos, which uh, hopefully are on the website still, uh, that talk about uh, Sandam technology that uh, some of the Canadian Food Grains Bank uh, partners uh, in Kenya and elsewhere, perhaps. I don't know if you were in Somalia also, Frank, um, have, uh, have introduced. The technology is, is very simple. Um, we get, uh, as in other countries too, but here in Kenya we get these flash floods. The water rushes down the riverbed and disappears. And uh, the benefit is uh, very short-lived. So by building simple concrete dams across uh, the riverbeds, these dams uh, soon fill up behind them, upstream, uh, with all the sand that gets washed down. And uh, thereafter, when the rains come and the water rushes down, it fills up behind that uh, dam and because of all the sand the water is trapped and it doesn't evaporate uh, it's there and you can now either dig holes in the sand to access it or better at the bottom of the very simple dam you have a tap or a faucet, uh, which you can turn and water will come out because it's all behind there. And, and you can let it out to, to get 
uh, water uh, for your goats or to carry for your garden or whatever. And uh, this helps to retain uh, water uh, in, the, in the aquifers, uh, makes sure that uh, water is available. And um, one of the uh, project visits that I did uh, a few months ago was uh, to an area where we have, uh, I think we had six sand dams, uh, and uh, the communities showed us how they were to, able to access the water that was trapped uh, for months and months and months uh, in the dry season, and they were able to grow uh, their gardens, their vegetables and everything, when all around them it looked like uh, absolutely arid and uh, barren. And then there would be this greenness where the Hadra project was, and uh, the the farmers, particularly the ladies, uh, they they all did a little dance uh, for us and in their traditional way, uh, thanking us for this because it allowed them now to eat all the time. Yeah, I remember the video that I did about that project. We called "Dancing on Water" because the women were dancing on the sand, and all you had to do is dig down a little bit, and there's water there for you right through the dry sea. That's awesome. I'll make sure so that that video is accessible so that uh, our viewers can take a look at that. It's really interesting to see. That's great. And I I, uh, I love that, especially in Kenya. I feel like in Kenya, it's the most obvious where where address projects are is green. I, I noticed it in Rwanda as well when I uh, visited the where the leaf project was and it was a, a, a semi-arid region. Everything was very dry, but where address project had been and the households that had worked with Adra, they were green and flourishing. And uh, it, it makes me so happy that Adra's logo is green because it's just, that is just how it is. Like Adra, Adra goes into communities and makes them green and makes them prosperous. Well, that concludes this edition of the Adra Insider. Thank you so much for joining us, James, Sharmila, and Frank. I uh, also, for our listeners, we're very happy you could join us today. If you're interested in finding out any more on these projects or listening to previous podcasts, you can check out adra.ca slash podcasts. We also are uh, excited to announce that we now have a Roku channel. So for people with Roku TV, you can uh, search for Adra on Roku and you have access to all of our videos directly to your smart TV. Again, I am your host, Michael Kirkby. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you again. Mm -hmm.